Welcome to MPT Podcast. This is Pastor Tim Wilbanks. We pray that this Word of God will bless your life and ministry increase God's blessing upon you. said that we're going to do what I'm comfortable with. So y'all want to just leave? (laughs) We'll go get something to eat. We'll go shop. We'll go do something I'm comfortable with. So let's see if we can make this thing work today. Okay. I'm so honored that y'all would ask me to come back again. That means I didn't destroy anybody last time I was here. (laughs) But, okay. Let's just make things a whole lot easier. I know every time that we come to church that we're expecting God to come down like this booming voice and have this mighty move of the Holy Ghost and everybody leaves talking in tongues and slain in the Spirit. Let's just take that out of the room and everybody just breathe. Let's just just have a good time together. Everybody just relax. So the first thing we're going to do is I want you to look at your neighbor and just go, Meh. Now, see, everybody feels better. Everybody's a little more relaxed. Everybody's smiling. We don't look so scared. I don't feel like I'm about to throw up. (laughs) When I was thinking about coming here today, I was trying to figure out what I could say that would really help. Because it's almost like every day everything just gets worse. It's almost like you can't find a light at the end of the tunnel. The world's getting worse. We feel like we have no control. The news is horrible. And there was just, there's a thought that just came to me. And I know that looking at the crowd today, there's people that have little kids. There's people that have grown kids in the room. There's grandmothers in the room. And kids is an easy subject to talk about when you talk about women. So I'm going to talk a little bit about children today. But my subject is the aroma. As women, we love aroma. We buy essential oils. We think that they cure everything. I think they cure everything. I think because I just like the smell. But I like to tell my husband that this 14 bottle of all will cure your stomach. It'll cure your, your bad feet. It'll cure diarrhea. Um, it'll make heart issues go down. I mean, I like to tell him all those things because that 14 bottle of all smells so good. But the word aroma means it's in a distinctive Typically, it's a pleasant smell. But there is some things that just kind of stink. Now, growing up, I grew up in the church. Oh, y'all can sit down. I'm sorry. No, would y'all like to stand because I'm standing? (laughs) No, sit down. Um, Growing up in the church, you hear Bible stories your whole life, and people just assume that you're supposed to understand. You know, this massive God that you never see. Stories that just sound like a really huge novel. Some of them sound like a rated R movie that your mom told you you weren't supposed to watch. But now she tells you you're supposed to read them in the Bible. And I'm thinking, these things don't match. You told me not to do that. And it's right there. It's in the Bible. So a lot of stuff... 
maybe I'm just looking at it too deep or something. It just doesn't, a lot of it doesn't make any sense. Well, one of the first stories in the Bible is Cain and Abel. I never could wrap my mind around Cain and Abel. I mean, they're brothers. God told them to bring a sacrifice. Both of them brought a sacrifice, but one of them wasn't accepted, and one of them was. Like, really, God? What? I mean, what's wrong with his cucumber that you don't like? So see, God doesn't even like broccoli and, and vegetables. Like, he didn't even accept it. It, it, it. So me and him's like that. We don't like vegetables. But one Sunday morning, I was in a service with Dr. James Hughes. Now, he's got a degree. He's supposed to, like, really be smart. And he was teaching about keeping your garden clean and cleaning out the weeds every once in a while so that the weeds don't grow up in your life and take over your home and your family and, like, choke the life out of your situation. Clean the weeds out. And I thought, okay, well, this Bible story is a weed, and it's choking me. And I, I just don't understand it. It makes no sense. that You've told me my whole life that God is a good God, and he's merciful, and he's kind, but he doesn't absolutely like everybody? That doesn't make any sense. So at the end of that service, I was praying. And for the way it works for me is like a movie reel will come on in my mind. And it's like everything just starts playing like a movie. And so this story, Cain and Abel, just started like playing over in my mind. And it was like a complete revelation of the meaning of sacrifice. Just like biblical terms just like swept over me so here we go this is what I figured out since the beginning of time this moment that we call life God has been trying to get our attention basically God was the creator he created us as beings in his likeness for the sole purpose of just worshiping him that's all he wanted just a relationship so you've got Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve's transgression was the only reason we needed sacrifice. Because before Adam and Eve, well, Eve, since it's a lady's thing, Eve is the one who messed us up, guys. Since Eve is the one who brought transgression to light, now we have to sacrifice. So not only was she a goober and given Adam the apple, Listening to the serpent, snake, dragon, whatever it was. She's the reason now we have to sacrifice. What an idiot. So before then, there was absolutely no reason for God to choose between Cain and Abel. Well, they bring their sacrifice. And Cain brings his vegetables. And Abel brings his little sheep. Well, God doesn't like vegetables. So he didn't choose the vegetables. But when Abel built an altar and he put his little sheep on the altar, guess what happened? There was a smell. Now, I know when I cook vegetables, there's a smell. They stink. When you burn a sheep, it stinks too. But all of a sudden, from heaven's balcony, God said, what's that smell? I've never smelled that before. I created two people in the, garment, in the, in the garden, and I've never smelled that before. That smells pretty good. Hey, guys talking to the angels. Hey guys, what is that smell? It smells really good. Look, it's changing the atmosphere. Everything is changing. There's a cloud. I feel at peace. God feels at peace? That must be pretty good. So, it leads me to believe 
that in order for things to change in our life, we have to kill something. You can't kill a vegetable. You can only cook a vegetable. Because a vegetable doesn't have a soul. I'm sorry for all the liberals out there, but my vegetable does not have a soul. The sheep has a soul. When you kill it, it sets off an aroma. God likes that aroma. It changes things. Well, we all know that this world is progressively getting worse and worse and worse. Now, we go from Cain and Abel to now someone new steps on the scene and it's Noah. Everybody knows if you grew up in church that this world is compared to Noah's time. The will of man was trying to take over the will of God. So Noah, the Lord calls his name and says, I need a man that's willing to listen to my voice and make the world what I intended it to be because I don't even recognize what's going on down there. So the flood came. 40 days, 40 nights pass. God opens up the door to the ark, and the first thing Noah did was build an altar. God said in Genesis 8, verse 21, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. That word savor means smell, a perceived odor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I smite any more every living thing as I have done. So simply by killing an animal and putting it on an altar for a sacrifice, God smelled that odor and he decided that day, I will never kill man again like I've done this time. So by the simple fact of sacrificing, we can change even God's mind. Now, God doesn't lie, but we can change his mind. That, to me, that, that, that's amazing. The smell, the aroma can change your atmosphere, can change your environment. It can change your life. Now, when Abraham and Moses entered the scene, they already understood that they had to have an altar of sacrifice. But then God started telling Moses which animals to sacrifice for which transgression. There's different things you can do, different sins you could do. And Moses had a law. This animal goes for this sin. This animal goes for this sin. Now, the will of man... We're going to talk about this animal. The will of man is a pretty pungent, stinky odor. Worse than any animal out there. And when you sin, then you smell even worse. With a man's heart being evil from birth, that's not even our fault. We're just evil when we're born. That little bitty baby, newborn baby, he's evil. We don't want to say that because he's so sweet. But he's evil in his heart. (laughs) Sorry, Mom. By the time we get to adulthood, we can be pretty stinky. So when you enter the throne room to ask God for absolutely anything, he's thinking, I don't know who this person is. They're stinky. I can't even stand the smell of them, much less the look of them. God's instructions have been pretty simple. We try to make it complicated. But they're pretty simple and they're pretty clear. He told his people through his servants, which would have been a prophet or a preacher or a man of God, how they could change the atmosphere through smell. What aroma am I sending out? What aroma are you sending out? As a matter of fact, there's no essential oil that will cover the will of man. I'm sorry. Don't run to the boutique today because there's not one that they make that will cover the will of man. 
God has already told us in the Bible that we as people are hard-hearted and stiff-necked people. That means we're stubborn. We've caused God more anguish and more distress than they could probably ever write in the Bible. He's given us more chances. He's turned more corners. But we're the ones who keep causing the distress. God can't even stand the smell that he's receiving from the earth that he created. Created. The only way to conquer that smell was for him as the creator to become our savior. In the law, God told Moses, the firstborn is my portion of every creature on the earth. That would be man and animal. The firstborn is always mine. Exodus 13 and 2 says, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, that whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. Because God never wanted his children to forget that he delivered them out of the hands of Egypt, which is a form of the world. He made a covenant between him and the children of Israel. When the laws he had created, he told Moses, no longer can I stand to keep man allowing their flesh to control them. God, our creator, came back to this world through the curse that he created, childbirth. He created childbirth through Eve as a curse. But he decided that if I'm going to fix anything, I'm going to have to go back through the curse that I created, which was childbirth, to give us life. Mary was a virgin. We've heard that every Christmas story. But think about this. Nothing had ever opened her womb. God already told Moses, everything that opens the womb is mine. Nothing had ever opened Mary's womb. That clears up all kind of questions for me about why did he pick Mary. Because nothing had ever opened her womb. So when he decided to come back through the curse, he not only came back through the curse he created, but he also came back through the law that he created. God never leaves out any little detail. Exodus 13, 15 says, Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males. The crucifixion, the death of Jesus, was his ultimate sacrifice. The purest of smells. The aroma that changed not only the atmosphere, but he conquered death, hell, and the grave. I read a story the other day about the blood of a lamb. Everybody always classifies Jesus as the blood of the lamb. It was a story that a rabbi had written, and he lives, you know, over there in Israel. And he wrote this story, and he said, of all the years that they've sacrificed animals, every animal that was in the law of Moses for whatever transgression that you would commit, when they would sacrifice that animal, the blood would flow on the altar. The animal that you sacrifice for sin, for man's will, is a lamb. When you sacrifice that lamb, that animal on that altar, everything else that had been sacrificed that day, the blood's still there. They don't clean the blood up. The blood just drains down into like a trough. When they would kill that lamb and put it on that altar, the blood flowed down the altar. When it got to the trough in the bottom, the lamb's blood never would mix with the other animals. It kind of drifts off to the side. So when God became the lamb of God... His blood didn't mix with anybody else's blood. 
It was pure blood. So when it flowed from the top to the bottom, it was pure. It didn't mix with anything else. It covers only sin. Now God gave us that example. The sweet aroma that must have filled the air on that ninth hour when God ultimately sacrificed himself for us. The earth even broke up in praise. There was earthquakes. There was graves opened. The veil was rent in twain. The universe was changed forever. Now God gave us that ultimate example of how to break our will. You see, the only thing that God gave us at creation that he could never take away from you, he can't change his mind because he's a God that cannot lie, is your will. When you get the Holy Ghost, he doesn't take your will. When you say, Jesus, I'm all yours, he doesn't take your will. You have to freely give him your will. He will never take it away from you. So to get rid of our will, we have to kill our flesh. Our flesh is the ultimate sacrifice. When you kill your flesh and you send a sweet aroma that changes the atmosphere and it causes every transgression, every sin, every act, and every thought to even be forgotten. God has tried to tell us through time that the smell of sacrifice is the smell that changes the atmosphere and causes things to shift. It'll change your mind, your future. It'll change how you see life. It'll change your family. It'll even change where you spend eternity. John 3 and 30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. And he that is of the earth is earthly, speaking of the earth. And he that cometh from heaven is above all. In order for him to increase and for us to decrease, we've got to give up control of our will. We have to die to our flesh and to our human spirit and allow him to take control of our body, mind, and soul. Romans 8, 13 says, If ye live after the flesh, you are going to die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you're going to live. For as many that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now here's a funny story for you. The French over in Paris. I love Paris. The French created something that us women absolutely love. Perfume. It covers the smell of this pungent flesh. You know why they created perfume? Not because we like it. Because the French don't bathe. That's gross. The French people don't bathe, so they created perfume. I call it toilet spray, but it's really toilette. <laughs> but if you know why the reason they made it, it's toilet spray. The French don't bathe, so they made something to cover up this stinky flesh. God created us so that we decay a little bit each day. That is so gross. So anything that decays stinks. Now, that's the natural flesh. Can you imagine on the inside, if we don't take care of the inside, how much we stink? Perfume can't get in there. You can't, like, spray Lysol in your mouth like Trump wanted to do at one time to get rid of COVID. Still doesn't get rid of the smell. Can you imagine without even trying if we were born with an evil heart and never do anything about it, how evil your heart is by the time you're an adult? How bad that it could smell to Jesus. There's no perfume. There's no deodorant. There's no little simple hello Jesus prayers. 
There's no grandma wishes. There's no pastor prayers that could ever fix or cover up the pungent smell of flesh. We cannot truly live unless we're willing to die. We are not truly led by the Spirit unless we sacrifice on an altar. When our stinky, rotten flesh dies on an altar, we'll send up that aroma that changes our world. It literally means that you change your garment. You take off the flesh and you put on a garment of, that comes straight from God. He created us to be a certain people to achieve certain things. But until he can recognize who he created, he can't bless us. If you enter the throne room without your flesh under control, your human spirit under control, you're wearing a garment of flesh. God doesn't recognize that. He only recognizes when you're wearing a garment of praise and your flesh is under control, your human spirit is under control. There's blessings waiting in heaven that we could not contain. If we could just get the simple concept that we have to die to our flesh. We as humans can hold on to things so tight because we want complete control. We're women. We can multitask. We can have balls in the air all day long and then at night go to bed, total peace because we handled all of our balls that are in the air. That's the way we're made. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. I don't. If somebody tells me what to do, I'm going to rebel right then. Now, you can ask me, you can politely suggest it, but if I'm told what to do, I completely rebel. That's, that's just me. We like to think for ourselves. We don't want nobody telling us where to live. We don't want nobody telling us how to live. We want to figure it out for ourselves. We want to break our arms, our legs, our back, our neck, and then after we're laying there in traction... See, I told you I could do it. <laughs> but true blessings only come from God if we let Him control. The true calling only comes through death. You could pick up your cross today and you could allow Him to change you. I've heard my whole life that we need to pass by Calvary every once in a while and look upon God's affliction and remember what He did for us. But God doesn't want you just to pass by and say, ooh, that was terrible. That was really bad. That's really gross. That's like rated R. He truly left an example of how much he loved us by dying on the cross. But that wasn't the point. If that's all you think about Calvary is that he was the ultimate sacrifice, I think you missed the point. Society has allowed us to have a bigger voice when it comes to our opinions and our thoughts Without knowing it, we've passed it down to our kids. We've taught them how to take up for themselves. We've taught them how to use their voice to speak out. We've taught them that their opinions and their feelings need to be heard. They have what this world is called child rights. When I was a kid, I was told daily... Like maybe by seconds. Kids are to be seen and not heard. It's very rare this day that you go out in our society to go eat or go to the store or even go to the playground because you thought you needed to take them to the jungle gym. That you see kids being seen and not heard. Most of the time they're very vocal and they spend most of their family moments voicing their likes 
and their dislikes. When the older generation walks by and says, why are those kids so loud and mouthy? The parents always respond. Oh, they're just expressing their self. They'll get over it. They'll grow out of it. No, they won't. When my kids were growing up and we'd go places with us or without us, I would always tell my kids, remember when you walk away from me and you walk away from your dad, you don't belong to yourself, young lady. You don't belong to yourself, young man. You represent your pastor. You represent your daddy. You represent your grandparents. You represent me. Remember when you walk away from mom and dad. You better be somebody that someone else wants to be around. That they choose to be around. What I was trying to tell them in a nice way was, you can't act like an idiot. You got to control that human spirit. Get a get handle on it. And be somebody. So now, I've looked back, and I could be totally wrong, but it's like we have two generations of people that have to be taught submission. Used to, we taught submission, but it wasn't necessarily something we had to do because submission just came naturally. The truth of the matter was is that submission wasn't taught because you lived it by example. There's an older generation, there's a generation now, two generations, and I'm part of one of those generations where you don't even get taught submission by example. You're taught to express yourself. If you don't agree with it, question it. If you don't like it, Why do I have to do that? The truth of the matter is, is that we've taught our kids how to live. We've taught them how to function in this crazy world. We've taught them how to protect their self. We've taught them how to go out and get a job, go to college, make something of yourself so that you can take care of mom and dad and mom and dad don't have to take care of you. We've taught them all of those social abilities. But we haven't stopped one day to teach them how to die. To die to their flesh. To die to themselves. To deny something of themselves that they could very easily pick up. But they don't necessarily need. Every time we speak when we should have been quiet... Every time we've gotten angry and we've lashed out at someone or something when we should have kept our mouth shut. Every time we get angry over trivial things that in the big picture they don't really matter. When we should have just let it go. Every time we voice our opinion when we really just need to be submitted to authority. James 1, 19 says, Wherefore, my brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. That's why God gave you two ears and one mouth. is so that you could listen and not necessarily speak. I've heard my husband teach a lesson that when you die, your tongue is the only thing of your body that rots the quickest. And it's the only thing that heals the fastest. It's a very vital tool. Sometimes you just need to keep your mouth shut. The cross was not so much an example of love but an example of how to die. If the only thing I can do as a mother 
is to teach my kids how to die. Then I've accomplished a mighty lesson on how to live. Just this past week, I don't listen to the news. I'm just not a news person. It's very depressing. It's just not my, my cup of tea. I would rather watch a love story or listen to somebody falling in love than I would watch the news. But just this past week, there was a story. This is current, y'all. Like, like, like right now. It's like happening this past month. We all know that the month of June is called the Pride Month. There's a group of people in New York City that did a rally for Pride Month. Everybody knows what that means. And they were publicly screaming in the streets of New York, we're coming for your kids. When I heard that, that was enough. I didn't need to hear any more. I don't know what he was talking about. All I know is that man said he was coming for my kids. And something inside of me rose up. And I thought, not today, devil. Not today. I don't know what I have to do to make sure that I tell people they're coming for your kids. They're not coming for you. They're coming for the future. And everybody has all kinds of things going on. And I know when you're raising kids and when you're living your life, and it's not necessarily always about kids, but when you're living an everyday life, it's just, can I get through today? Can I just survive through today? But everything that you've done up until today... The devil could care less about. He don't care what you did yesterday. He don't even care about the prayer you prayed this morning. He cares about the future. And if we don't teach our kids to die, and that is to die by example, we've lost everything. We need the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding of God every day to achieve how to learn how to kill our flesh. If your human spirit and your will is controlling your everyday situation, and if you're human, then your human spirit is controlling your everyday situation. You need to build an altar and you need to sacrifice. What smell are you putting off? What garment are you wearing today? The cross is in your view. Your pastor's already built the altar for you. What are you going to do today to make that change? I teach my kids to live, but have I taught them to die? Is survival, that word, does it really mean to live? Instead of waking up every day and saying, I'm just going to survive today. I'm going to make it to bedtime. And I'm going to pray for peace. And I'm going to go to sleep. How about if we did this instead? As soon as your feet hit the floor, say, okay, devil, I want you to hear me. I know it's not popular to call on the devil and tell him what to do, but do you know we have that authority? You have more authority in you if you have the Holy Ghost to tell the devil what to do than he has to tell you what to do. So if we wake up every morning and we say, okay, Satan, you come right here. I want you to come stand right here because I'm going to tell you today what's going to happen. You fixing to have a real bad day. I'm awake. I'm in my right mind. I know who Jesus is. And my ultimate job today, devil, is to torment you. Because do you know that the devil was created to worship? And so if you call him and tell him to come stand right there beside you, he's got to watch you worship. So instead of him tormenting you every day, how about you kill your flesh and you torment him? It's a whole lot better day. I'm going to keep my human spirit pushed down 
and let the world see who Jesus is. You know, I have older kids now, and I'm going to leave you with this. I've taught my kids their whole life what to do. I've spent my life correcting them. And as mothers or as women, that's what we tend to do. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Even when they're grown kids and they call us and they're doing something that we don't actually agree with, we'll go, what are you doing that for? Don't do that. Are you crazy? I got to thinking the other day, what if we were a little more vulnerable in front of our kids? How do you teach your kids to die? This is simple. He was just standing up here in the microphone and said, how many people were here because their mothers prayed? Well, this is the thing. I figured out a couple of years ago, I don't want my kids to wait until they become adults. Or maybe I should say wait until they have problems that they're at rock bottom and they have nowhere else to turn to remember mom prayed. I want them to see me praying now. I want them to hear me praying now. I want them to know that I am praying now. If when you start praying, your kids look at you like you're crazy or like, I've seen little guys do it, like little bitty kids. They'll reach up and touch mom's face like, is mom okay? I'm not being critical. But if your kids look at you like you're crazy, it's because they don't see you praying. Is praying in front of your kids awkward? By all means. Do you feel like an idiot? Yes, by all means. But a couple of years ago, we made a rule in our house that none of us would go to bed until we prayed together, until we read a couple scriptures together. The first time we did that, you would have thought I cut my kid's throat. I mean, they're, they're raised in a preacher's home, but when I said, turn off the movie, turn off the video game, put everything down and everybody come to the living room, we're going to pray, they all went, What? Pray? You mean like together? Mom, we pray every night before we go to bed. I said, no, ma'am. We're going to pray together. And me, you know, I'm the one standing there giving instruction. We all come to the living room together and we all sit down together and they're all like looking at me. Um, what are we going to do? I'm like, we're going to pray. Stop praying. And they're just looking at me. I'm like, do y'all not know how to pray? Let's pray. And they're all looking at me. And then it dawned on me. Uh, <laughs> You're the mom. Start praying. When I started praying, I felt like the biggest idiot in town. I stumbled over my words. I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to say. So finally I just you know, was like, okay, well, um, uh, Jesus forgive me because I don't know how to pray. And so we just started praying. It was amazing. I started praying and then I stopped praying to listen to see if they knew what they were doing. My son was speaking in tongues. My kids were praying for us, me and their dad. And I was just amazed. I was like, oh my God, they really do know how to pray. And then after we got through praying, I said, okay, we're going to go around the room and we're going to say scriptures. They knew scriptures and I didn't know any. I felt so dumb. I mean, I had to get out my phone and, and, and like read out of the Bible. We'd go around and say three scriptures. We have been doing that for six or seven years. And that's a shame when my kids are in their 20s. And I can only tell you that we've been doing that six or seven years. But it has changed our home. It's changed our life. Even when their dad travels 
We don't do it so much as we used to, but when we first started, we would FaceTime him so that he could be in prayer. Now he's just usually asleep by the time we pray because we have later hours than he does. But we all pray together. And I cannot tell you, it's almost like the credit card commercial where it says that was priceless. There has been times in our lives in six or seven years that when we were going through something or something was coming against us and we would almost forget to pray because there was so much going on that our kids would come remind us, Mom, we haven't prayed yet. And they would come in our bedroom and lay across our bed and just start praying for us. I know this is not MasterCard, but that is priceless. It's priceless when you can teach your kids how to die and they turn around and use it on you instead of using correction on you. Because at some point, they will turn around and use your correction on you. But it's so much better when they use the prayer on you. And then I just started thinking in the last month, all those times that I've corrected my kids, what if I just started calling them and saying, Mom just wanted to call you today not to correct you, but I want to bless you. I want to bless your home. I want to bless your finances. I want to bless your walk with God, that God uses you more today, baby, than he's ever used you before. If we have enough inside of us to correct them when we think they need correction, what could be any worse than calling them and saying, I bless you today. I bless you today. Mom loves you. I bless you today. Even when they're little, start blessing them. If there's something, I know this is funny, but if there's something in your body that you don't like, do you know if you'll speak a blessing over it, God has no choice but to change it? If there's a doctor situation, if there's a part of your body that you don't even like, do you know that if you start blessing that body part, that God has no choice but to bless it? This is funny. I know it's funny, but I heard Sister Nona Freeman preach a sermon on this, and she said that she hated her feet. She could not find shoes to fit her feet. She said she got the revelation of blessing her feet. She started blessing her feet every day, and they walked into a store. She never could buy shoes, ever, because they didn't have her size. She walked into a store and she asked the guy, do you have a size 10 and it needs to be 8 centimeters this way and it needs to be this way and this way? The guy said, just got a shipment in. We've got about 50 pair. God has no choice but to bless you because this is the deal. He created you. He created you just like you are. If you're mad about yourself... If you're mad about your situation, then you're actually cursing God because he created it that way. Me, I don't like my bottom half. So I've been telling Jesus every day, bless this bottom half. Now, I don't mean bless it and make it bigger. Now, Jesus, I'm telling you right now, we're we going to get specific. You created this. Now, look, you're going to have to take control. I'm telling you right now, this is serious business. If you don't like your eyes, start blessing them, and God will make them better. Because he has no choice. If you speak a blessing on something he created, he's, he's got to make it better. If you feel like your husband is for you, and God blessed you with that husband, Jesus, I need you to bless him today. Be specific. Jesus, I need you to bless him and bless that mouth and make him shut up. God has no choice but to change your situation. If you want your money to be better, make sure you pay your tithes. The Lord bless my money. Now, Lord, I want my money to grow, but my bottom half not to. 
That's what you do. I don't want everything here to be completely serious. Just because we come to church does not mean that we have to leave here in travail. It does not mean that if you come to church and you don't pray and speak in tongues before you leave the building does not mean that you did not get something. That's why you got two ears. So you can hear and apply what you've heard. Now I want everybody just to relax because I am nobody. Those two Johans back there are nobody. They're not going to bother nobody. But I know that there's people sitting in this building that have questions. And no question is dumb. Something that you don't understand is not dumb. If it plagues your mind long enough, it will become a problem. But if there's anybody out there that, has, that wants to ask a question, I can try to answer it. If I can't answer it, I'll tell you I can't answer it. Because I don't claim to be very smart. But I do know that there's, I have questions. And there's people in my life that I ask those questions of. My husband gets tired of my questions. Because I like things explained. I, I want to know what I'm doing. I want to know where I'm going. And I want to be able to enjoy it when I get there. So tell me what I'm doing. And I want to have fun all the time. If it's serious, I don't want to do it. You know, everything's a game. Let's make it a game. Okay, we're, we're going to bring up the big guns and they're going to dismiss because I don't, I'm not really like good at that. Okay, big guns, y'all come up here. Oh, yeah, y'all got to pray. That's y'all's calling. What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> we pray today that this word has blessed you, minister to the needs of your life. Until next time, God bless you.